Okay, welcome to High Cheese with Darren Maloney. Today is Monday, June 20th, 2022. And you know, I was just looking over the economic calendar for the upcoming week, and I just want to uh, talk about housing. And on Tuesday, which is tomorrow, June 21st, we've got existing home sales. And the estimate is 5.41 million numbers extrapolated on an annual basis. And the previous month was uh, 5.61 million. And then on Friday, we've got new home sales. And the estimate is uh, 600,000. And the previous month was 591,000. I don't know if you remember, last month, the estimate was, I think, 750,000 new home sales, but only 591,000 came in. So, you know, it's an indication of a dramatic drop. You know, I think everybody's anticipating a problem with housing. And I see it already. And when you watch the CNBCs and the Bloombergs, these are the cheerleaders and they're trying to pump up housing. And, oh, no, no problem here. Nothing to look at. And I was reading an article uh, today and it had to do about, uh, well, you know, uh, the housing market's a lot different than it was in 2008, so it's, there's not going to be a real collapse. And, uh, well, first of all, you don't have to have a collapse in order to be a very bad market for housing. But one of the things that they were pointing out, the difference between 2008 and today, is that they were saying, well, you know, in 2008, you had uh, a lot of people with uh, very little equity in the homes, and it made it much easier to uh, uh, walk away from. Additionally, you had people say, uh, saying, well, you had, you know, high, you have higher credit scores today versus you had back then. People were getting mortgages with lower credit st st uh, scores. You know, th these are the things that they try to make you believe that today's housing market doesn't have problems. And it has problems. And here's the biggest problem that today's housing market has. It's inflation. Inflation, inflation, inflation. You think about it. You're a young couple, you got a kid, and you want to buy a new home. How are you going to buy a new home when inflation is eating up your savings? All that money that you set aside to put for your down payment on your house, well, inflation is easy, eating that up. And how am I supposed to pay for a mortgage when all my money is going to feed my kid and my family and meets $10 a pound? But you've got, you've got inflation. Interesting thing is that mortgage rates today are the same rates or similar rates than they were in 2008. But here's the one difference. They're not looking at, they weren't looking at higher rates in 2008. We're looking at higher rates today in 2022. We're looking at high, potentially higher mortgage rates than they are today. I think today it's five, uh, the 30 years, uh, I think 5.78%. And the expectation is that number can go higher. And they weren't looking at higher mortgage rates in the during the, the housing crash in 2008. Matter of fact, they were looking at lower. Because if you remember, these artificially low interest rates affected mortgages, mortgage rates. Other thing, too, I wanted to talk about is, you know, look, we're facing a recession. And what happens with recessions? You're having layoffs. So all these people that bought all these homes at high prices over the past few years, what are they going to do if they get laid off? So there's a lot of headwind here. And you're going to see 
more and more people get laid off, inflation going higher. And that does not bode well for the housing market. And if you notice, last month, the last report came out is uh, inventory in housing was up 8%. And my expectation is that's going to continue to climb as people want to put their homes on the market and sell. Take advantage of these higher prices before the housing market goes down. And one thing I do want to point out, too, is that when people take a look, and they love to throw this number out there, oh, you know, the average price of the mortgage is going up, going up, going up. But you have to understand, there's a lot of things that go into that average number that can skew it. Like, for example, you know, let's use, for example, I think it was 447,000 was the last average number or, 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 or median. Well, that gets skewed, don't forget, when you've, if you have, say, a lot of higher-end homes being sold. Well, that's going to skew that average or that median number. So yeah, you got to take that number with a grain of salt. You really have to look further into those numbers and take a look at what's driving that number. Is it skewed all on the higher end homes? You know, because a ton of multi-million dollar homes were sold and not a lot of lower priced homes. Well, if you look at that, you, you get an indication that, well, you know, everything's up, 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 up. So really, you have to thoroughly take a look at what makes up these median and average size of mortgages. And really, it's really important when you buy a home too. You know, you know, when you want to build wealth, you don't want your first home. You don't want to go into the housing market. You don't want to buy into the housing market when housing prices are overinflated. What you really want to do is you want to buy low and then keep on buying up throughout your lifetime. And it just makes it hard to do when your first home is at the top. You bought at the tippy top of the market. And what happens if the prices go down five years from now? So you're taking a haircut on your house and you're looking to buy another house with the money that you took a haircut on. Versus if you bought at the bottom of the market, you've got the extra money. Say you bought a house for $100,000. Five years from now, it's $105,000. So you get that extra equity going into your pocket versus the other people that bought at the peak. It's coming out of their pocket. Now, you know, look, it's, sim it's simple. You know, I'm simplifying this, but think of it in that way, especially if you're a first-time home buyer. And I know I've said this before, but one of these episodes, I'm going to talk about Wall Street and how they are buying single-family homes to the detriment of the American couple, the American people. So I've been holding off on it. I think over the summer I'm going to uh, do uh, uh, you know five or ten minutes on it. And it's really terrible what what the uh, uh, Wall Street is doing. They're going in and and they're competing with uh, Americans that want to live the American dream. But yanking those homes and taking those homes away from them and then turning around and renting to them. And, and that's wrong. But that's for another discussion this summer. So we shall see. Well, it's a great day for science. FINA, the world governing body of swimming, came out and they are restricting transgender participation in elite women's events. 
Now, that's a good day for science. And what I want to do is I just want to go to a, a clip of the president of FINA, Hussein al-Masala. And let's just go to that clip. And he explains uh, what they're doing. And then we'll come back and discuss. We have to protect the rights of all our athletes to compete. But we also have to protect competitive fairness at our events, especially women's competition. It is a policy that is based on science. It is a policy that we need to introduce in order to protect the competitive fairness of our, of our event. So essentially what they're doing is they uh, are disallowing anyone that was transitioned after the age of 12 years old. So if you transitioned before you are 12 years old, you can compete. But if you transitioned after 12 years old, uh, you can't compete. And look, it, it makes sense in the sense that boys, their muscular structure, their lung capacity, their strength is much stronger than a woman's is. And this is developed during puberty. And it gives these transgender people, including Leah Thomas, an advantage. And, and Phoenix just saying, oh, you know, this is just not competitive. It's not scientific. You know, the science tells us if you transition after 12 years old, you've got a physical advantage over a real female. And the good thing is, too, is that, who, you know, you've you got some nutty parents out there, but they're few and far between and that are going to let their kids transition be, before 12 years old. You know, so for all practical purposes, this disallows transgender people from swimming against real women. Now, the other thing they mentioned, I said, and I want to say this one, they said they're going to work on having a, a different category of swimmers, transgender swimmers. And I want to see that freak show. But again, it's a good day for science. They follow science. I think it was Caitlyn Jenner agrees. He agrees that Leah Thomas has a physical advantage over a real woman because he's got a larger lung capacity. His muscle strength is stronger. You can minimize their strength with hormone therapy, but pound for pound, a transgender person is still stronger than a woman. And that's just not competitive. So it's good to see. So I'm really interested to see what the woke NCAA does. If you Remember, it was about two, three months ago, the NCAA came out and says, oh, we're, we're going to defer to the governing bodies of each of these uh, sports. Let them determine what the rules are going to be regarding transgenderism. So I, I'll tell you, I think the NCAA was surprised by this decision by FINA. So I wouldn't see what they do. Are they going to follow the rules of FINA or are they just suddenly going to come back and say, well, you know, we're really not going to follow uh, the governing bodies. And don't be surprised if they do something like that because they're, they're a woke bunch of millionaires at the NCAA. They don't care about the kids. They don't care about the athletes. They care about the organization and the money they make from the organization. That's all the NCAA does. 
That's the only thing that the NCAA cares about. So let's see what they do. I'm really, I, I really want to know what they do. I hope they come out with some type of press release to let us know what their position is now. Are they going to rescind Leah Thomas's championship? Are they going to let her keep it? So we shall see. I'll tell you that the J6 uh, hearings are turning into a waste of time and, and the Democrats are starting to realize this. I, I think, for example, I think it was this week with George Stephanopoulos, Heidi Heitkamp, she was one of the talking heads there. She was asked uh, by Stephanopoulos whether these uh, <laughs> the J6 hearings will have an impact. And she said, no, not going to have an impact on anyone. So after all this, We've got this whole dog and pony show. And what I find really ironic is this past weekend, the Texas Republican Party <laughs> had its convention and they added to its uh, platform that uh, Joe Biden is an illegitimate president. So you've got the second largest state in the union putting in its platform that the current sitting president of the United States is not legitimately elected <laughs> in light of this whole J6 hearing. I, I think it's hilarious. But that's where we are today. You know, we've got, the, uh, we, we've got the mainstream media and the Democratic Party pushing a fake narrative. And we've got the American people on the other side telling us what the truth is. And uh, speaking of Stephanopoulos, he, uh, he had Janice Yellen on. Poor Janice Yellen. I, you know, she seems like a nice person, but she's over her head. She's just foundering all over the place. Let me just play you a, a clip from the interview, and then uh, we'll come back and discuss. The American Petroleum Institute is pushing back on the president's call for refiners to increase production. I want to share what their president, Mike Summers, said on Wednesday. said the administration's misguided policy agenda shifting away from domestic oil and natural gas has compounded inflationary pressures, added headwinds to companies' daily efforts to meet growing energy needs while reducing emissions. How do you respond to that? Well, I, I don't think that um, policies are responsible for what's happening in the oil market. Um, the way in which we can assure um, reasonable energy expenses for households is um, to move to renewables to address climate change as a medium-term matter. That's the way to um, free us from geopolitical um, movements in oil prices. Aye, aye, aye. She just fails or ignores the fundamental cause of this problem with oil. She comes out and says, ah, Biden's policy had nothing to do with the oil. Keystone Pipeline had nothing to do with oil. Cutting back on leases had nothing to do with oil. She's in denial or she just doesn't know. And then she goes on to say, oh, in the medium term, if we can just uh, address climate change and renewable energy, We'll be okay. It'll help. Yeah, it's just terrible. Just absolutely terrible. What she's uh, part of me feels sorry for her, but I can't because this Biden administration has to be crushed, and she's part of it. And I just want to go back to the interview, and there's one thing that you should be really concerned about. And let me play the interview. And then we'll come back and discuss. How about lifting, this is separate from gas prices, but uh, for broader consumer spending, how about lifting uh, the tariffs on Chinese imports? 
uh, the tariffs we inherited, um, some serves no strategic purpose and raise costs to consumers. And so reconfiguring some of those tariffs so they make more sense and reduce unnecessary burdens is something that's under consideration. Yes, and one of the tariffs that uh, the Biden administration wants to do away with is the steel tariff on China that was imposed by Trump. But Yellen doesn't think it's important. Now, what that means to the steel worker, the high-paying steel worker, is going to lose jobs over this. So what they want to do is they want to, again, I think it was my second episode, for the past 30 years, the globalists, I take that for the past 40 years, these globalists have kept inflation down on the backs of the working man and woman. They've tamped down salaries, and that's how they kept inflation low. They were making a ton of money. However, the regular working person in the United States was getting screwed because globalism put the American worker that was was making a high wage in competition with the Chinese worker that was making $2 a day and slave labor also. And this is what Biden wants to go back to. He wants to put tariffs on steel, which does nothing for the economy. Because if we're importing more steel, that does nothing for our GDP. However, if it's produced in the U.S., that's good for our GDP. And above all that, we could be going to war with China over Taiwan. And we're going to start importing more steel from China, making them wealthier. And meanwhile, there is a national security interest in having our steel produced here. So we're suddenly going to bring steel in from our enemy. So I'm telling you, this administration has absolutely no idea what they're doing. They're just flailing around, seeing what uh, hits the wall. But they've already admitted it. They can't do anything about this. They don't want to do anything about this. They don't have the mental capacity to do anything about this inflation problem. And you saw it. Because the one thing that they can control, oil, their policies have tamped down the supply of oil being produced in this country. They're just a mess. Now, one thing I want to talk about the Stephanopoulos show is Chris Christie let the cat out of the bag. He let it slip what we all knew for years about the two-tiered justice system. So let me play the clip, and then we'll come back and discuss did he do it enough to meet that standard of willful blindness? Look, I, I, George, I think there's two different ways to look at this as a prosecutor. And this is where justice is not equal necessarily in our country. It's different prosecuting John Carl than it is prosecuting a former president of the United States. And I'm not surprised the flannel mouth Christie said this. He, he seems not to have a problem with a two-tiered justice system. And he spoke about it in such a, a cavalier way. But I'm not surprised. This, this is a rhino. This is part of the swamp. And the funny thing with Christie, he talks about, oh, you know, it's difference between the president and somebody, George Carl. It's with somebody like Christie, every decision he makes is a political decision. And that includes him being a prosecutor. T- take a look at history, the history of uh, Christie. 
prior to his running for governor. Take a look at what his cohorts in the federal prosecutor's office did to benefit Christie in his run for governor of New Jersey. Just take a look at Bridgegate. Guy like Christie will have no problem going after someone as a federal prosecutor and his expectations would be to go after somebody if it was politically expedient. And he let the cat out of the bag because he's so arrogant. He's like, yeah, that's the way things are. Too bad if you don't like it. Oh, no, we're doing something about it. And here's something that is right up Chris Christie's alley. It's, uh, it's an article from the uh, Fox News last week. And uh, let me just read it. It has to do with, uh, I, do you remember those, uh, those two um, Border Patrol agents on horse back that there was a, a picture of them supposedly whipping Haitian aliens trying to come into the country? And all it was is just a camera angle. And the press made a big thing. Oh, this is whipping. They're whipping people. How terrible is this? And Biden come up, came out and said, oh, these people will pay. Well, the truth is they weren't whipping anybody. It was just, just the camera angle. Okay, let me read a little bit of the article here. It says here, the Department of Homeland Security is preparing to discipline multiple horseback border patrol agents involved in the infamous whipping incident of Haitian migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border back in September. A federal source told Fox News an announcement on the matter is expected within the coming days. The source said that the DHS will be putting forth proposals to discipline the agents who will have a chance to respond to the charges. The charges, Fox News said, are administrative violations and do not amount to criminal conduct, of which the agents were previously cleared. Images emerged in September of border agents in Del Rio, Texas, showing them on horseback blocking migrants from entering the U.S. and in one case grabbing onto a migrant shirt. ABC, CBS, NBC pushed the debunked claim that Border Patrol agents were whipping Haitian migrants, but didn't bother to inform viewers that it was debunked. President Biden weighed in on the controversy, saying those people will pay. And now DHS, they have to get some blood out of this. Because the president already said these people are going to pay. It has nothing to do with the truth. It has all about, it's all about the politics and it's all about the narrative. It's the political judicial system that Christie is talking about. And that's what we have here. Somebody has to pay because the president said these people are going to pay, whether it's truthful or not. But the politics require it with the Democrats. And these poor people, these poor workers, they're probably really good border agents. And they're going to, they, they probably went administratively through everything in their history. And they're trying to find something that they can hang them on. And I know what's going to happen. They're, they're going to find, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe the uh, saddle that they used wasn't approved by Homeland Security. Or their shoes weren't shined enough. Or something like that. They'll, they'll, they'll find something. But all they want is that headline that says, yep, we found something. They're wrong. They're being punished. That's all they want. They want the headline. They're being punished because they rely on people not knowing the truth. And it goes back to Chrissy. The, you know, the truth doesn't really matter 
It's about the politics. So I'm really, I, I don't know if these uh, administrative dis- this, uh, discipline has come down on these uh, Border Patrol agents, but I want to see what they come up with. And they'll fight back. They have a union. I'm sure they have attorneys working for the union. And they'll fight back. And good luck to them. Okay, let me talk a little bit about Juneteenth, which is what we're celebrating today, Monday, June 20th, 2022. The stock market is closed, by the way. And look, I've been aware of Juneteenth. I grew up in a multicultural community in Teaneck, New Jersey, and uh, I've been aware of what Juneteenth was. And, you know, we now celebrate it today. So let me just give you a little history, quick history of what it's all about. Essentially, what happened is the war ended. Lee had surrendered on uh, April 9th, and the Western Confederate Army did not surrender until June 2nd, 1865. And what happened is the Western Confederate states were problematic because there were still a number of Confederate militias still there, and the Union Army didn't extend that far, particularly, you know, in Texas. And, and Texas was the westernmost state in the Confederate Army. So from a logistics standpoint, it was problematic because you didn't have a lot of uh, Union soldiers there. Uh, until they sent George Granger. And George Granger was a general in the Union Army, and he was uh, charged with overseeing Reconstruction in Texas. And essentially what he did when he got there is he issued, it's called General Order Number 3, and essentially it was an order from the general saying, look, we are going to enforce the Emancipation Proclamation, reiterating that all slaves are free. So that's that's where we get Juneteenth. I, you know, again, I hope I uh, did it justice. But one thing I just wanted to say is that if you get a chance, listen to Jason Whitlock. He's a commentator on The Blaze, uh, The Blaze Network. And he used to work for ESPN. He was a writer at ESPN, but he's a conservative guy. And you can see that a conservative African-American is not going to last long at ESPN. So he took a job with a, uh, The Blaze. And he really... He hits the nail on the head of what the African-American experience in this country should be about. It shouldn't be about uh, African-Americans being constant victims. Uh, It should be celebrating what African-Americans have accomplished in this country in spite of uh, slavery. And I think if you ever get a chance, you you should take a look at at Jason Whitlock and see what he does have to say about the African American experience in this country. You know, it's it, it slavery slavery was a terrible thing. However, look how African Americans have thrived in spite of slavery. So that's what should be celebrated today. Uh, not being a victim, not being this type of groupthink mentality that a lot of these so-called spokespeople of the African American community have created. So listen to him. He's got a really good perspective on how it, how it is to be African-American in this country, and, and he celebrates what African-Americans have accomplished, which they have. So with that said, listen, I just want to go and tell you that you have a good week, and I will talk to you on Saturday.